Welcome to Dig Deep. We are in week two of our series, Cleaning House. And last week, I talked about how I am a person with a deep affection for clean, minimalistic closets. And maybe you're a person like me, or maybe you are a person more like my husband, who is someone who leans in what I call the sentimental direction. He likes to hold on to things. And we realized this difference in our personalities pretty early on in our dating relationship. But one situation that stands out to me in my memory where I realized just how different we were in this aspect of life was when we were out on a date and my husband had to grab something out of his trunk. And so I went around back with him and I was a little alarmed to see that his trunk was full of random stuff. I mean, random items of clothing, books, papers, bags of things. I mean, you name it, it was just a kind of a cluttered mess. But what was most alarming was that on top of these piles was a single piece of moldy pizza on a paper plate. And so naturally, I turned to my wonderful boyfriend at the time and said, can you tell me why you have a piece of pizza in the trunk of your car? And he answered so naturally, well, sure, I I had it on the floor of the passenger side of my car, but then I went to pick up my girlfriend. And so I had to put it in the trunk. And he said this with a big smile on his face. And I realized, oh my, I love this man, but what am I really signing up for here? And a few weeks before we got married, we knew we were going to be moving into a little one bedroom apartment with one closet that we'd both be sharing. So I, of course, had been preparing for this, getting rid of stuff, passing stuff down to my younger sisters and figuring out what am I actually taking with me to this um, first home of ours. Well, my husband hadn't done any of that work yet. And so one night when we were visiting at his parents' house, His mom suggested, hey, you guys could go up and and take some time to go through the closets in Ben's old room. He has, you know, a bunch of stuff up there that probably needs to be sifted through. So we did this and it did end up leading to one of the biggest fights we've ever had, which we will not talk about right now. But it also was very amusing because my husband, I learned, owned item of items of clothing that I had no idea he owned. So it was during this process that I got to see him model the burgundy corduroy pants that he wore in college and the Mexican poncho that he bought in Mexico City that he wore many times throughout college. And then, of course, his infamous brown polyester bowling shirt that he bought at a thrift store that had the name Tony embroidered on the front that he, no kidding, wore weekly while we were dating and even into early marriage. And so after a lot of conversation and putting different things in piles, we agreed that the burgundy pants and the poncho were going to be given a second chance at life at the Salvation Army, and he could keep the brown bowling shirt. And in this series, we are talking about cleaning the closets of our hearts. We have things that we've held on to forever that a true friend or loved one would say, oh man... (laughs) You have got to get rid of that. That just looks flat out terrible on you. And in this series, we want to pray this prayer from scripture to God, asking him to give us his honest opinion. Are there things in the closet of my heart that he wants me to get rid of? And so this prayer comes from Psalm 139, verses 23 to 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. 
Many of the things we're going to be discussing in this series are things that we have chosen to hold on to. We've let a little bit in and then it grows and piles up until we step back and realize, man, I think I have a problem here. And today's topic feels a little bit different from some of the other topics we're going to be talking about because this is something that often feels more like a moldy piece of pizza that somebody else put in our closets. We would never put it in there, but someone else did. Because today we're talking about anger. And if someone were to come to me and say, in love, hey, I need to talk to you, Jess, about something that I see in your life, and they were to identify an envy problem or greed or lust, like we're going to be talking about later in this series, I would feel a little embarrassed. I I would feel ashamed. It'd be hard for me to admit that I have those things growing in my heart. But anger is different because if someone in my life comes to me and says, you know, Jess, I'm sensing that you're angry, that maybe you have an anger problem. My response usually is to say, yeah, you're right. You nailed it. I'm angry. And my closet was perfectly organized and beautiful until he came along or she came along and screwed it all up. Yes, I'm angry, but it's not my fault. They did this to me. They did this to me. So today we're going to look at some verses from Colossians chapter 3, because in this passage, Paul is talking to the church at Colossae and he's saying, look, there are some things in your lives that you need to get rid of and you need to replace them with other things because God loves you and he wants to give you a life filled with joy and peace. And he has some things that he wants you to trade out. And so he says in verse 5 of Colossians chapter 3, So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. And then in verse 8, But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Paul says you've got anger. It's time to get rid of it. And we don't like to hear that because it puts the responsibility on our shoulders. And as we've said, whoa, 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 I'm angry because I have every right to be. Did you see what that person did to me? And see, the problem with anger, what makes it tricky, is that anger is a natural response to injustice. We read in scripture that God, too, is angry at injustice. And when we consider that over 45.8 million people are victims of modern-day slavery, and that one in three of those victims is a child, our blood boils, and I believe that's a good thing. I believe that's a glimpse of the image of God in us. Anger is the natural God-given response to injustice. And that anger can be healthy. It can fire us up to push against injustice, to fight for the rights of others, and to bring God's kingdom in beautiful ways. But today, we're talking about the anger that we have in our lives, in the closets of our hearts, because of injustices done to us. And that anger that is stored away in the darkness can grow into something worse. Another way to think about anger is that if you're angry, it's because somebody took something from you. Somebody took something from you. And you could argue that your anger is justified, and we'd probably all agree with you. But the reality is, our anger 
when allowed to flourish, when allowed to grow in the dark, is the seed that grows into the weed of bitterness and threatens to choke out wonderful things in our lives, beautiful things that God intends for us. And if you've ever dealt with anger, you've probably seen this in your own life. Anger doesn't stay put in the corner of the closet where you try to store it. It starts to spread so that all of your conversations, all your trains of thoughts lead back to that injustice or you just feel angry all the time. Maybe you struggle to fall asleep at night because your heart is racing and you're angry. Maybe you start to snap at loved ones who have nothing to do with the injustice that you suffered. And in all of that, it's easy to feel like a helpless victim of your anger, which in my life only makes me more angry. There's a scripture that's really difficult to chew that's from Romans 12 that commands us, dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. Never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. Of God. And I think the key phrase in that passage is the righteous anger of God. See, God, God is angry at injustice, but his anger is purely righteous anger. He's the perfect judge. He is precise and controlled, and his anger is perfect, just as he is perfect. Now, our anger, though it may have some merit, ultimately cannot be controlled. You want to know an easy way to tell if you're harboring unhealthy anger? Have you had any imaginary conversations with people lately? This is how I know when I'm harboring anger. I have imaginary conversations with people. In my mind, I get into an argument with someone and I always win. I always win in these situations. And this person oh gosh, I feel bad for them. They just look so foolish in this conversation. And there's usually a crowd, of course, watching this conversation take place. And the crowd, of course, is saying things like, ooh, that was a good one, Jess. And oh man, run her into the ground, Jess. Like you, She deserves it. A few months ago, I was in line in a store and there were two girls behind me who were not necessarily having an imaginary conversation, but hashing out real conversations that had taken place. And the one girl was just so furious because she had been betrayed by this friend and now the friend was gossiping about her and they'd gotten into several arguments and it escalated into this horrible thing. And all you could hear was there was just anger boiling inside of this girl as she vented about it to her friend. And after five minutes of, of furious venting, she ended her whole story by saying, oh, well, you know what? It's not my problem. And I had to resist the urge to turn around and place my hands on her shoulders and look her in the eye and say, oh, honey, it sounds like it is your problem. And that's what we want to say, is it? I mean, I had to turn that conversation on myself immediately and, and realize that that's, that's what I want to say. I want to write that person off. And maybe I just want to wait for an opportunity for revenge that'll be just perfect or, or maybe just hope that someday they'll get what's coming to them. And if I could have a front row seat, I mean, that would be really nice, but it wouldn't have to be that way. And that's the problem is we can't just say, oh, well, it's not my problem because anger is a problem. It robs us of the joy and peace that God wants for us. And so he's given us the remedy in scripture. He says, get rid of anger. And he tells us what to replace it with. He tells us how to fight it. 
He says we're to fight anger with mercy. We can fight anger with mercy. Look at verse 12 of Colossians 3. After Paul has told us we need to get rid of anger, he says, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy. God has been using this word tender-hearted in my life a lot recently. In several situations, I've felt his voice just reminding me, hey, tender-hearted, tender-hearted mercy, tender-hearted. And I think God is giving us a clue here with this word tender-hearted because, see, as we've said, anger is like the seed that can grow into the weed of bitterness. And that anger and bitterness wants to spread throughout your heart and calcify and harden it over time. And that's why your completely justified anger with that one man has the power to harden your heart toward all men. And your anger with that church that burned you has the power to harden your heart toward all churches. And your anger toward your ex-spouse has the power to harden your heart toward all relationships. And we want a life that is filled with joy. And God is saying the key to that is tender-hearted mercy. We fight anger with mercy. And showing someone mercy is simply this. It's recognizing, as we said before, that something was taken from you. They took something from you. Identifying specifically what it was that they took from you. And then mercy is deciding They don't owe me anything. Forgiveness, at its core, is as simple as that. Saying, debt canceled. Debt canceled. And the reality is, that person took something from you. That friend betrayed you, and they owe you an apology. That acquaintance lied about you and owes you the reputation they stole from you. Your spouse's ex who tries to rob you of your influence with your stepchildren. Your parents, who owe you the safe, loving home that every child deserves that you never had. Anger says, you took something from me, and until you pay me back, which, let's be honest, in many of those situations, that person never really could, I will be angry with you. Mercy says, debt canceled. You don't owe me anything. And Paul goes on in verse 13 of Colossians chapter 3. Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with the love which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. And you might be arguing with me right now, thinking, but you don't understand my situation. I have every right to be angry. And believe me when I say, but I'm sure you do. I really understand. I'm sure you do. But anger, if it's allowed to live in your heart, will steal your joy. It will rob you of the peace God wants you to experience. And so he's calling to you, fight anger in your life with mercy. 
I recently had the privilege of hearing Josh McDowell, author and apologist, evangelist, speak, and the part of his story that I was most familiar with was that he was an atheist in college who got into debates with some of his Christian friends and set out to research and debunk Christianity. He wanted to disprove Christianity so that he could have real ammunition to fight in these debates against Christians. And it was during his study that instead of disproving Christianity, he realized that he was proving Christianity to be true, and he accepted it for himself, and he published his research under the title of The New Evidence That Demands a Verdict, A Defense of Christianity. And his story is an incredible one for sure, but he shared in this evening parts of his story that I had never heard before. He shared that he was raised by an abusive and alcoholic father who gave him an absolutely miserable childhood. He attributes his father as being the cause of his mother's early death and his one sister's suicide. And in college, when he did give his life to Christ and started to grow in his relationship with God, he had gone years without talking to his father, and he knew he needed to go and before his father died, at least tell him that he'd become a Christian and let him know that that was the last he would ever see of him. And so he met him at a diner with the intention to tell him those things. And when he opened his mouth to say, I'm a Christian and you're never going to see me again, the words that came out instead were, I love you. And he says, I don't know who was more surprised, my father at hearing the words or me for having said the words. And he considers that the first time that the Holy Spirit intervened in his life and spoke on his behalf, almost against his will. And his father eventually came to accept his son's forgiveness and also God's forgiveness. And he shared the good news of Jesus until he died. But what was even more powerful was that later on, McDowell was convinced that now he was being called by God to go and forgive the man who had worked on their farm and in their house while he was growing up, who had homosexually raped him for years of his childhood. And with a lot of help and counseling, he went one day to the man's house, and when the man opened the door, he said, What you did to me was evil. I've become a Christian, and I believe that Jesus died as much for you as he did for me, and I forgive you. And McDowell attributes those incredibly difficult decisions to show mercy as critical steps on his path to true peace and joy in his life. And God is asking the same of us. Whatever the size of the injustice done to you, somebody took something from you. And God is calling you to fight anger with mercy. Choose to cancel the debt. And let me be clear, this is not a one-time decision. This is an exercise. This looks like us punching our hearts like a punching bag, tenderizing them like a slab of meat. That's why I think the word tenderhearted is so poignantly used here. This is like exercise. These are everyday things and it's painful. 
One of my favorite exercise instructors, one of the things that she'll repeatedly say is, pain is progress, ladies. And it drives me crazy. I want to tell her to shut up, but I know that she's right. And I know that it's true that pain is progress. And we need to kneel before God and ask him to help us to say, tenderize me, God. You have shown me mercy. Help me to show mercy to others. And so our try it today is a difficult one. I want to encourage you to spend time alone with God and ask, am I harboring anger in my heart toward anyone? I want you to write down the name of that group of people or that specific person. And I want you to consider specifically what they owe you. They owe you something. They took something from you. What is it? Write it down. And then spend some time in prayer with God and ask him to give you the power to write the words, I'm canceling the debt. Debt canceled. God, help me to extend the mercy that you've extended to me. Tenderize my heart. From time to time, I like to share songs with you that have been meaningful to me. Songs of truth are one of the ways that God tenderizes my heart when it's starting to harden. And there's a song that recently has been really meaningful to me. It's by a group called Shane and Shane. The song is called Take Over. And part of why it's such a powerful song that softens my heart is because in the verse it says, I know you made a home inside this heart of stone. So turn it into flesh. Spirit, soften it. I give you all I have. I'm holding nothing back. Jesus, I am yours. I am yours. And I want to be honest with you and tell you that I did this exercise the other day and it was incredibly powerful and healing and very emotional. And I felt that God equipped me in a new and beautiful way to offer mercy in a deeper way than I ever had before. And by that evening, lying awake in bed, thoughts of anger we're already creeping back in again, less than 24 hours later. And this is an exercise. This is something we do on a repeated basis when we feel anger creeping back into the walls of our heart. We go before God and say, God, I'm turning that person, those people, that situation over to you because I know that your anger is fully just and that it's in your hands. Help me to do what you've called me to do and to show mercy, to say debt canceled debt canceled. I know that this is a challenging try it today, and I hope that you will practice this exercise and experience the freedom and joy that it can bring. And if you want to go even deeper, please consider going over to jessalston.com and clicking the listen page. You can find a PDF of discussion questions under the show notes of today's episode and use those to go deeper in your time alone with the Lord or with a small group or with your spouse or a close friend. So I hope you take me up on that and have a wonderful week. I'm looking forward to next week as we continue this series, Cleaning House. Thanks for being here.